This is a place. This is a place. This is a place. We want to talk about this is a place. Welcome to this week's episode of This is a Place. My name is Nate, and with me is a guy who had a bad experience at a Mexican restaurant, but he doesn't want to talk about it. Brandon. Yeah, I just can't go down that road again. (laughs) (laughs) Who hasn't had a bad experience at a Mexican restaurant, right? It's a rite of passage. Right. We got plenty of Mexican food here in Utah, and there's plenty of opportunities to have that bad experience. Oh, there's plenty of Mexican restaurants. One, One thought I've always had is you'll see a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant come in, they go out of business. What's the next place that comes in? A Mexican, Mexican restaurant. restaurant goes out of business. What's the next one that comes in? Mexican restaurant goes out of business. So I'm just not sure why they think their recipe is going to be the one that's going to make that location go. Yeah, good point. But we do have a lot. A lot of, of good ones. Not, of good not ones. all bad ones, but we do have a lot of good. We do have a lot of, lot of good places here in, in Utah. So well, how did your week go? It was a good week. Um, I had some time off of work, so I got to do some stuff at the home. Your grass is looking green. It's getting there. And you have gophers? I have gophers. Got some traps to get rid of them, but... You're not going to keep them as a pet? No. Do not want pet gophers. (laughs) How was your week, though? It was a good week. Um, I pulled my back on Wednesday... So I've been walking around like a crippled old man for the last few days. But other than that, it's been pretty good. Uh, We went and saw Bill and Ted's 3 yesterday, which was a most excellent movie. (laughs) So if you have the chance, check it out. Um, You've been waiting for that for a long time. Yeah, I've been following it from the rumor days years ago, um, hoping that they would get it to go. So it was fun to finally... Finally see it happen. So they did a good job with it. It was super funny, a um, little nostalgic if you were a Bill and Ted's fan. But they did they did a really good job with it. So I hope it, it turns out as far as uh, money-wise for them to make it. So they might do, not necessarily Bill and Ted movies, but it might incentivize other franchises to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, kind of like what they did with uh, Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. Cobra Kai's on now Netflix. Netflix. So yep. I'm re-watching it for the third time. <laughs> So, life's good. Yeah, pretty good. Well, should we uh, talk about what we're going to talk about? Let's do it. We have a guest for this episode that can give us some great insight into the long-gone place we'll be talking about today. We have with us Logan Young. How's it going, Logan? Thanks for joining us. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, This is a fun show, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about you and what what you do and your tie-ins with podcasting and such. Oh, well, um, so by day, I'm a business success coach, uh, which is I I work with uh, independent businesses, helping them get really different marketing campaigns and and, and strategies to kind of boost their business all over the country. But locally, I I work as an actor and a a podcaster here in Salt Lake. So I work with a a partner doing – we do a folk, we do a folklore podcast called Folklore on the Rocks, and we do collected stories from all over the world, and discuss them and, and theme a, a special drink for each episode after each monster or story. Yeah. What, so you say you're an actor. What kind of movies have you, or maybe not just movies, but probably theater is thrown into there? What kind yeah, of things you've been a part of? Yeah, thanks for uh, for broadening that. Yeah, really, I haven't done a whole lot of film, but a whole lot of stage stuff. Um, here in Utah, uh, you're if you're going to do stage, you end up doing musicals. It's just kind of comes with the territory. We love the musicals here. Yeah, so it's a lot of singing and dancing, um, but it's really fun. Um, I've worked with a lot of the big theaters around Salt Lake, and not really a whole lot beyond that. But uh, it's it's fun. And from there, did a couple of traveling shows and uh, joined up with with Bill Brown's. Uh, uh, he's got a stunt show that's based around diving, and actually a lot of uh, a lot of people from from the Mayan actually have done work with them. It's it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. So you bring up I I listened to a couple of your episodes just kind of get a feel for for you guys and what you do and I noticed a couple of times you talk about oh hey we're here's the big reveal of what our episode is about 
and you just did it right there. We're talking about the Mayan, right? As, yeah, if, so- as if the listeners don't know what we're going to be discussing if today. They didn't read the title of the episode. <laughs> it, I, I always forget that we put it right at the title on there. So I, I like to have a little bit of surprise, but sorry to jump the gun on yours. No, guys. no, you're good. <laughs> I'd say most people listening were mainly a Utah podcast. Most people know what the Mayan was. So it started out in 2000, so a little bit before the Olympics happened here in Utah. A lot of things you've touched on, Logan, it was an experience. It was a restaurant, too, a Mexican restaurant, but the biggest draw, why people go here, was for the diving, for the theming of the jungle, for the storytelling that they would do, and and that's what it was. Um, It was located out at the Jordan Commons, so what was the mine is now i guess some additional theaters that they built on afterwards right yeah uh they've they've changed over i believe to an imax movie theater and uh it's a good use of the space and i'm told that it's turning over a lot more money than than it did as a restaurant but still it was it was something pretty special but yeah you you were a, a diver right at the mayan adventure yeah. restaurant well, yeah. So I was lucky enough to experience the Mayan from a couple different perspectives. Uh, when it very first opened, I went as a as a patron. Uh, then I was when I was nineteen, I was hired on as a as an entertainer. Where not necessarily I, I would never get in the water or touch the food. Mostly, what I would do is host birthday parties and entertain guests while they waited for tables. Um, and then I was then I left to start school went back once kind of school had gotten into a steady rhythm. And that's when I transitioned over into being a diver. Um, and that was, that was a, that was a weird transition for me uh, because I didn't really have a history I, in diving. I remember the meeting. So I was called into the general manager's office and they said, uh, we think you'd be good up on the cliff. Can you dive? And I said, well, I can swim. Uh, I suppose <laughs> I can give it a shot. <laughs> uh, and, but we, uh, it was it was it was a really cool experience to work with. Um, well, for one, we had a number of dive coaches on staff that would work with us to to make sure we did everything safely and to make sure that people could actually put on a show that didn't look like people terrified to jump off the cliff. Uh, but it was it was a, an experience unlike any job I've had since. And the more I talked to people, it was something really unique to Utah. I've never had a job even remotely close to that. So I, I love diving, but I do not look graceful <laughs> when I'm jumping off the high dive. At the... I wish it was still around so we could get you up there to be a diver just for one night. Yeah. Well, I feel like I probably could, if you don't have to have too much experience and I had a dive coach, I might actually learn how to dive correctly. Do yeah. you feel comfortable in a speedo though? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the easy part. Yeah. And, and really, for a while, I'll, I'll tell you the little, little trade secret on this. Um, while we were kind of being trained up to be to be divers, it was more or less the Mayan jump show. Uh, it was it was a lot of feet first and terrified looks on our faces and doing our best and letting gravity do most of the work for us uh, until eventually we got some tricks and some some proper form down and and could actually get in the pool without spilling most of it all over the rest of the restaurant. There you go. How high is the highest jumping point? So the highest jumping point, um, let's see, it was it was uh, 10 meters about uh, for the central main cave exit. And then you could go another two and a half meters above that, uh, which is and that was the very, very top of the of the, the whole restaurant, really. Uh, and then even beyond that, you could go up into the rafters, which some some of the more crazy divers could do. Uh, there was one move we called Batman where one of the divers would go upside down and dangle from their feet from the rafters and then drop into the pool. Yeah. And I saw that, a video of that. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Jeff could do that. And it was, it was amazing to see every time. Um, so uh, give or take 30 feet is about what, what you're looking at for most of the show. Um, then we had a number of lower rocks built into the scenery that were kind of built to be dive platforms um, at, at lower or different angles. So you could kind of get some variation in the show. So if you were to go to a public pool and they have usually like two diving boards, kind of a normal diving board and then a high dive, that's probably like what? 10 meters, not 10 meters. Um, so the low one is 15 feet. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got uh, three meter and then ten meter. Um, so your three meter is. 12, 15 feet. Sorry, my metric conversion is not what it should be. Uh, <laughs> and then 10 meters is about 30 feet-ish, uh, you know, give or take. But that those are kind of the Olympic competition dive standards. And that's where a lot of the the initial idea for divers in a restaurant came from. They, they said, okay, how can we execute this? How can we get people in to dive for an entire shift for a restaurant full of people safely? And in a controlled manner, and something that's repeatable. So a lot of a lot of the cues were taken from competition diving. And in fact, many of the in the in the earlier days of the Mayan, um, most of the divers came out in in speedos, and it was a show reminiscent of a dive meet. Hmm. Uh, and, and it kind of grew from there, and it eventually got more themed and more jungly as we went. Well, that's very cool. So was it a lot of kids who were like on the dive team in high school or were they coming from college or where were most of them coming from at the beginning? Yeah. At the beginning, most of them were pulled from dive teams. Uh, yeah. High schools and colleges. You got it. Um, yeah. A lot from the U of U, a lot from the local high schools around. This was Sandy, Utah. Uh, and really, yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, it was a young person's job because it was highly athletic and really you have to be, you have to be in pretty good shape and comfortable with running around in a speedo for the most part. <laughs> well, I'm comfortable wearing one. I just don't know if people are comfortable seeing one. <laughs> that's, that's, that's but you trick. know, I'll, I'll tell you a tip from the pro. Uh, in these, uh, in an environment that's themed like this, not like a dive meet where the lighting's good and everyone has to hold still for photos. Never let anybody get a good look at you. That's the that's the big trick. You always stay moving. Stay you know, always. That that was. <laughs> That was a, a piece of direction that we would always always get from the the, the, the management is uh, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to hold still. Um, a lot of what we would do is is we would, uh, like I say, we would get more jungly and themed as the show went on. And we would go and do bird hunts through the jungle. We would hunt the great jaguar and and kind of bring the audience along into this into this perpetual world of life in the Mayan jungle. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a good time. So how often, what was a normal work schedule? Like when you were diving, are you diving every 15 minutes, 30 minutes? I can't remember. It's been so long since I was there. Yeah. And so how long would your shift lap? Like, like, were you there yeah. all day, four hours or how would that work? Um, sometimes, so usual shift was four hours. Um, and they would make sure that there was never just one person there at a time for safety reasons. Uh, and really for the show, uh, it, it, it gets boring to watch one person jump off the cliff, wait for them to climb back up and then jump off again. Uh, so for the sake of the show, they would always make sure that there were two people there. Um, or at, at least two, I mean to say. And the, the whole thing was done in a loop uh, on the, on the hour. So uh, in now I, I do think that uh, some distinction has to be made between the Mayan and the Mayan adventure. Uh, from the show perspective, the Mayan was, was the early days when it was really uh, Larry Miller's baby, that he really wanted to be a model of efficiency and the ultimate dining experience. That's when it was more like a dive meet. There were Speedos and, uh, and really it was, it, it, it was several different experiences combined into one. Uh, the Mayan adventure was everything was recodified to be more themed um, all the way to the point where the entertainers and the divers actually had to learn Yucatec Mayan um, oh, wow. to, yeah, to speak to people and to do the shows. It was, uh, and <laughs> you still got it. Uh, uh, bueno. <laughs> a, couple, a couple of words. Yeah. And I, I have the sneaking suspicion that, that decision was actually to discourage divers from talking to girls at the side of the pool. Because uh, uh, <laughs> if you can't speak the same language as the crowd, then it makes communication a little hard. Those are the ones that were very comfortable walking around the Speedo that were yeah. trying to hook up with the girls. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys came out every hour, were you just hanging out for the next 50 I don't know. Each show was about 10 minutes, wasn't it? Or how long was each show? Yeah, um, each show was about eight, eight to ten minutes, um, and 
so at, at the beginning it was um alternating between shows that were dive shows and shows that were largely featuring the animatronics uh the pre-recorded uh, just scripted shows for the audience to enjoy in the Mayan adventure days, it was actually built around a Mayan day. Uh, at the beginning of the hour, the lighting would change to morning, and we would go out and and do this kind of show of gathering water and collecting food for the tribe. Um, and it would all finish out at 15 minutes after the hour. That's when a big thunderstorm would hit. And in this thunderstorm, somebody's out uh, getting a bucket full of water, and they get washed at, off the waterfall in a big, big flash flood. And uh, and it's up to the rest of the tribe to dive in and save them and, and rescue them. So it was kind of a short dive show with a little bit of story to it. Um, and then we were then we were asked to do again appearances through the jungle, um, go do bird hunts or or we could do, we could do practice dives through uh, into the pool, or we would. Uh, this was right when. American Ninja Warrior was getting started. Uh, and we would actually run through the jungle kind of practicing our parkour and just doing uh, stunts we probably shouldn't have been doing for safety's sake. <laughs> but, but it was a really fun way to, to pass the time and to stay in shape for having to go do a dive show in a few minutes. Yeah, it's really cool. You got a chance to be behind the scenes and participate in all of that. All that. Even the changes you saw, you said you went back and forth a couple different times and I'm sure just how much change happened in that time where it was just a, a dive meet and then became this themed experience that I remember going to and kind of being scared of actually because I knew there's gonna be like the thunderstorm and I just I was scared of that a little bit but I wanted to go there because I knew there was robots I knew there was the entertainment aspect of it so always have been drawn to those kinds of things myself yeah yeah, that was it. Was really uh, as a, as a kid growing up in Utah, I'd been to like Disneyland, and I'd seen some of the the larger name entertainment experiences out there. And to have something like that here in Utah, where we've got fully comprehensive theming from end to end, there there wasn't one wall of this restaurant that wasn't decorated to look like a Mayan temple or a jungle tree or or a, a cliff face or something like that. Um. It was it was something really cool to have here in Utah. Yeah, that was my memory. Was it almost felt like you were getting ready to go on a theme ride at Disneyland, right? When you were being in the waiting area, getting waiting for a table. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it always reminded really cool. me of uh, of the uh, the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. That's exactly, yeah, exactly what right. I was thinking. Yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> Even in the outside, as you're entering in, they had those stone dragon looking things. Mm -hmm. And the whole facade of the building was all themed to that. And it's like going through the queue line at Indiana Jones. Yeah, and, and that was all deliberate. Uh, this was a place that it was built to be in demand. Uh, it was projected to be always something new and always having a, a crowd coming through. And it was built to accommodate people waiting in line for tables. And so it had a large waiting area that... Uh, was again fully themed as if you're starting an expedition to the South American jungle, um, and it does have that kind of Indiana Jones theme or feel to it, I guess. Which we love and miss. <laughs> so, what were some of your favorite things about working there? And on the flip side, what did you not like about working at the Mayan? Well, first and foremost, I liked I liked the people. Um, really, we were a tight knit team. Uh, the entertainment staff was kind of uh, because we we worked backstage and had a very small prepping area that was that was kind of a, a locker room and dressing room all in one. Uh, it was a lot like a family, and we really watched out for each other's safety and made sure that if someone wasn't feeling like doing the next show, we would cover for them. And it was a really good, helpful uh, teamwork environment. Um, also we talked about, uh, the atmosphere that was something really, really cool. Every day was a day in the jungle mm -hmm. and, uh, here in Utah, we've, we, we can, I don't know about our last winter, but we can get some pretty good winters. And when it's feet of snow outside and you walk into a balmy jungle, uh, as soon as you get to work, it's, it, it was pretty cool. Um, it made it really easy to forget whatever was going on outside. As soon as you're there, you're in the jungle. What um, were things that you didn't like about it? 
Well, uh, the the big one that I think everyone's kind of complaint about it would probably be the food. Um, the food was it it was not quite up to the same caliber of of theming and and really uh, it was it was mostly built to accommodate again a large crowd of people, making sure that people got food on uh, on time. The initial model was that your food was waiting for you when you got to your table. Uh, it was trying to cut out all of those those dead spots in the dining experience to move people through quickly. Um, and they were constantly reacting to feedback. Here in Utah, we often will have families with a, a large number of kids. And it can be difficult to, say, have a restaurant with a, a, a really expensive menu and expect people to bring their kids there again and again. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was kind of walking this tightrope of being affordable versus being, you know, the quality and all maintaining service at the same time. And it, I'm not going to say the food was ever always bad or anything like that, but not knowing what you were going to get. That was, that was something that was difficult. Um, when I would recommend the show to friends and say, they say they're, they're coming into town, for example, and I say, come, come check out this one-of-a-kind restaurant. They say, what kind of food is there? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, but uh, also, it was it was difficult to enter to maintain a balance between the entertainment and restaurant staff. Uh, there, we're doing two very different jobs in the same space, and it was for the most part uh, we we tried not to step on each other's toes and tried to maintain a clean and safe environment. But it was tricky. Uh, it was it was a lot of staying out of people's way, of knowing when people are going to be coming through narrow corridors, or uh, for the servers, knowing when the lights are going to go off in the middle of their shift, knowing when these uh, the, when they might get splashed uh, or, or anything like that. It was it, it, it took a little bit of adjustment, uh, and it was unlike a lot of other restaurants. Do you remember like how many tables? they could accommodate or like capacity? Well, I know that it was, I know that it was three floors of jungle. Um, and I, I remember hearing, and I definitely believe it based on the way that it was themed to be junk layers of jungle. When you would see, you would look out from one of the, the views on a balcony or something, you would see trees, a temple, a mountain range. It would, it would go back all the way through this giant space. Um, and what I've heard is that the restaurant was never really profitable unless all three unless all three floors were mm -hmm. full of people. Um, it was an expensive machine to run, and it could really only run all or nothing. I found that it, at one point it could seat 700 people. So that's a pretty big restaurant space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 700 sounds about right. Uh, Hard to get only, that many people in, though. Too. Yeah. <laughs> the only time that I had ever – well, I'd seen it totally full a couple of times. Um, but the one that I've seen every table full there, uh, I was in my, in my earlier days, I was 19 and they had the, uh, the women's regional volleyball tournament hosted at the, the South town center near the Mayan restaurant. Oh, right. And so every floor of that place was full of high school volleyball girls um, now I was 19 at the time. And so that was, that was a really special time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, dang it. Why can I only speak Mayan? <laughs> yeah. No, well that, for that one, uh, I couldn't get in the pool. I was not, I, I, I hadn't graduated being a diver just yet. So maybe it gave me, gave me a little bit of motivation to, to get up on that cliff. Well, you mostly touched on your diving experience. Tell us a little bit more about when you were the, um, entertainer, entertainer. Yeah. What was okay. that like? What did you do? Well, uh, so I would wear a kind of an Indiana Jones style explorer outfit. Uh, and we were all encouraged to come up with our own characters. Uh, some of us were really goofy. Some of us were really tough and manly. Uh, that, was, that, that was my my kind of shtick. I, I kind of based them on a lot of pulp comic characters, like a Doc Savage kind of type. Uh, and it's, and no matter what, I know the way follow me, you know, that kind of thing, but he doesn't actually know anything. And that was, again, it was hosting birthday parties and leading tours through the jungle. Uh, and in between those times, uh, I would go back to the back rooms and actually puppeteer the animals. Uh, that was something 
pretty cool. Uh, so we had several animatronic animals. You mentioned robots. Uh, they had uh, animatronic iguanas, uh, toucans, parrots scattered throughout the jungle. And many of them were pre-programmed to have, have voices, kind of like cartoon characters. Uh, and there was a spot that you could go and, and control them manually if you wanted. That's and, so cool. And that was something that was a really cool privilege for the, the entertainers uh, to be able to work with animatronic puppets from a, from a control room environment. That was something really expensive and something that you, you wouldn't find in a lot of Utah theaters. There's so few animatronics in Utah. It's sad. Yeah. I'd love to find them anywhere, but that was a place it all, that was the thing that stuck out to me the most. Yeah. Um, so you were voicing them as well as controlling mm -hmm. them. Yes. Wow. That's great. Uh, and that was something that uh, all of the entertainers would take turns doing. And so what was kind of funny is we were under no obligation to match our voice to the recorded voices or to each other. So uh, an iguana that might have a Brooklyn accent when you visit one time might have a French accent the next time just because it's something somebody could do. Uh, but it was a really cool uh, just uh, job that was open to experimentation, I guess. If you wanted to try something new, if you wanted to be a different character, toss it in one of the animals, see what happens. Well, that had to be a great environment for you being from that theater background too. Like that's, that's your world right there, being able to put your own twist on something and just make it your own. Yeah. And, and find the, it's hard to find the motivation for uh, an animatronic character that can't move uh, as far as where they're, where they're mounted. So I would come up with things like this lizard has found the perfect ray of sunlight and nothing is going to move him from where he is. And, you know, those those small inner motivations for whatever the story might be. Well, that's cool. If you had different people, different accents, that means if you go often, you're getting a new show basically almost every time you go. Right. Mm -hmm. Or different yeah. experience. Different experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And that's something that a lot of people they did get. Um, a, a lot of people came through and, and they would bring their kids in, for example. And the kids would have a unique conversation with. A, a lizard or a bird somewhere in the jungle that nobody else gets to have. Uh, it, it, especially if, uh, again, you know, a little bit of light backstage on this one, uh, hearing through the animatronic animals was very, very difficult. Oh yeah. So, so it was a lot of, uh, I'm not quite sure what they said, but I'll agree anyway. And, you know, nod vigorously. <laughs> I want to ask you, have you had the experience or I guess the opportunity to visit Casa Bonita in Denver? I have not, but I am aware of it. Uh, not, you know, uh, let's see. I think the, the first time I heard about Casa Bonita was actually the, the South Park episode. that featured Like most it. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember going back and talking to my, my Mayan friends. I said, did you guys know about this? Is this something that... You, has anyone been here? And yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It, it existed long before the Mayan. And, uh, and you, I, I won't say, I mean, well, a judge already said that a lot of ideas were stolen from the, from Casa Bonita, but sure. I, I, I feel like in many ways, if you're going to do a themed restaurant like this, you, you copy what, what has already worked. It, it's, it's a big, um, very, uh, very complicated machine that you have to run. And, and so they kind of looked at what the challenges of Casa Bonita were and how they overcame them. And yeah, they copied off their paper, but I can't really blame them in that instance. Yeah. So I had the experience even just earlier this year to go and visit it. And it was interesting to be able to go to both of them. Um, as you touched on the, the judge threw it out. So let's see, July 6th of 2000, there was a, a story in the desert news that said Colorado restaurant sues Miller over theme for his Mayan eatery. And there's only one location now of Casa Bonita in Lakewood, Colorado. They had a couple different chains before, but this is the only one still standing. There's a lot of those same elements. Like you say, there's theming, there's um, even the food was really similar and that it's just really quick mass produced not the best quality food. Yeah. My brother, he, we, I went with him and he loved it. He kept asking for more food because it's basically unlimited on one of their deals. And so he just kept getting, I'm like, I don't know how you're eating this. I'm just here for the show because that's what I went there for. Um, 
one of the things I thought was really cool, the difference between the Mayan and Casa Bonita is that, I don't know how often you experience this, but in some videos I saw, they have points where there's multiple people jumping in like sequentially in the Mayan. So part of the whole show, they have like five, six people jumping in. When I was at Casa Bonita, I only ever saw one person jump in at a time. And they'd have dive shows and they'd have little programs as well. But the theming of the dive itself is that was the thing that the mine really was standing on. I mean, they had the whole experience itself, but the diving was the biggest portion of it. Mm-hmm. And the all the elements like the thunder, the the stone head in the side of the wall, all those things made it a really... I think better experience from the Mayan side compared to Casa Bonita. Yeah, it, it was it was really a, a cool thing. But well, uh, I had the, I had the the joy of trying to explain the Mayan to somebody who's not from Utah recently. And instead of going this whole long thing of it's a it was a South American themed restaurant where we had cliff divers and everything, I just sent her the GIF of the of the South Park divers from Casa Bonita, and she she understood instantly what the Mayan was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was when, when there was that kind of other element to compare ourselves to, at least for entertainers, it led to a large push for us to further distinguish our show and our performance from what else was out there. Um, things like, like the sync, the synchro dives or what they, they had one that was, uh, called a, a machine gun dive. And that's several people all lined up in the cave out of view of the audience um, and we would time uh, all of you run out one right after the other and go, 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 go. Uh, really, I, if, I, if I had to guess why that's not done at Casa Bonita, it's probably safety. It's a, it's a dangerous thing to send two people into the water at a time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, from the diving perspective, before each show, we would talk about those big complicated dives. When, when, we, would, when we would plan out, usually for the finale of a show or for a big climactic moment, we would have multiple multiple people going in the water, and we would choose where we would enter and how deep we would go. Uh, so that pool, that the the pool was kind of different from what you might find in a backyard or in an outdoor swimming pool. Um, for one, if you see any pictures of it, it is uh, very wide and not very long. Um, it, 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 it would run kind of the whole. Le- the length of the or width of the proscenium of the rock face, but only go out about twelve feet on one side and about eleven feet on the other side. Um, it was not a very uh, long. Oh yeah, it had a great big rock right in the right in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> just just to make it extra hard to to really you can't hit the middle of the pool. No, you got to pick a side. Um, but it was also sixteen feet deep on one side. Uh, sloping down to 17 feet with a drain on the other side oh. so it was a very very deep pool with no real shallow end and it was not really designed to to hang out it was designed to go in and go directly on un- un- yeah go directly under the rock and back up the ladder so i found some old youtube videos you kind of touched on this as well that the in those later years, they were trying to push like social media and they had their own YouTube channel, which still exists to this day. You can still watch a good couple videos. And it was so fascinating to me. They had a diver kind of walk a person with a video through and they went up the ladders and they were standing there on that perch and said, yeah, you have to jump to the right. You have to jump to the left. Can't jump directly on. Otherwise, you're going to hit this rock and you're basically going to die or be seriously injured. And. I think that's one of the most crazy things about places like this is that you guys were really sometimes kind of life and death scenarios with those jumps because you slip, you jump just the wrong angle, and that would have not ended well. I, I imagine there were injuries, of course, things that wouldn't be talked about, but um, I can only imagine what things happened throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, the as with any really dangerous job, there were always mostly little injuries, um, scrapes and bruises or, uh, you know, or some, some pretty big ones. People did get hurt and it's, 
uh, we would always just try to keep safety in mind. Uh, it was really something that had to stay at the top of the top of the list, especially when we started introducing elements like like fire, like silk performances, the the things that aerial dancing. Yeah, aerial. Yeah, it it got kind of complicated, and we had tried to keep things. We tried to keep on raising the bar for what people would want to come see. Um, we we as entertainers, we had gotten tired of of just dive meets of just impressive dives one after the other. Uh, so we tried to change it up. Um, we even tried to theme shows for whatever season or whatever big movie might've been coming out. Uh, we we even did a, uh, an Indiana Jones style show, uh, that was, we, we never said it was indie. We never played the Indiana Jones music, but it was also very much Indiana Jones. I saw videos uh, <laughs> of that. It definitely was Indiana Jones. Yeah, definitely Indiana Jones. I played him a couple times. I'll tell you. It was indie. <laughs> um, and, but we, we timed it for his uh, the Crystal Skull movie that, uh, well, say what you will about the movie, but our show was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were there any other, other times you were there that other movies were filmed or other things like that took place there or any celebrities that came strolling through. Uh, we did have, uh, celebrities every once in a while. Um, let's see, I have trouble naming any of them right now, but uh, we did have, uh, one thing that we had was uh, pretty regularly, uh, players and staff from the Utah jazz come through. Uh, it was all part of being part of the, the Larry H Miller. Yeah. Group and umbrella. Um, Let's see. I don't think I can recall. I, I, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of names of people who, who breezed through and, and maybe they didn't announce, them, announce it or we didn't do a special event for them. Uh, I, I know that uh, on a smaller scale, we did have a number of proposals that happened at the Mayan. And that, really? was, all, that was an interesting... For one, uh, if that's going to be your place, that you're going to do it, okay... Uh, but as entertainers and divers, we really wanted to make it a big deal every time. Um, so sometimes we would, uh, stage that he's proposing and then one of us would steal the ring and dive into the pool with it. And then we'd set up a whole show of trying to get the ring back. Um, sometimes we would even go so far as to get the groom up on the cliff, like we're going wow. to sacrifice him to the gods and only, uh, only an approval from his, uh, then girlfriend would 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 save him so it was hopefully they didn't say no it was a it was a a fun place to be creative with things like that yeah we um usually go through reviews at the beginning but we skipped over that so we do that from time to time you get so excited that we just (laughs) file forward yeah so we always like to for you logan we like to just read some reviews so Kind of hard to find them for a place that's closed, but I did find some old Yelp reviews um, from between, I guess, probably when Yelp started, 2009, uh, through when the mine closed. A lot of them just talked about how terrible the food was. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, that was that was the most common sentiment. Uh, people would go and, again, they'd go expecting one thing and get surprised, and usually that resonance is something bad. As a usually when you're an employee of a restaurant, they comp you a free meal per shift. Did you guys have that same experience when you were there? And if so, did you, did you eat want there? that? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, we we were comped uh, meals. We got a, an employee discount on the menu, and we even got to try some of the new things as they were being developed for the menu before they they were released out to the public. Uh, hmm. luckily everything I tried and had was, was good. Um, the, let's see, I was, I was big on the, I was big on the steak fajita plate. Uh, but it was also the most expensive thing on the menu. So that, you know, of course it's good. Uh, <laughs> has to be good. Yeah. Um, let's see there. I, I remember we had one that was a handmade, uh, from scratch, uh, chicken Caesar salad, uh, you know, um, from, uh, um, vinegar and anchovies all the way to a, a salad at the end. Um, it was something really, uh, it, it was, it was neat to have something that wasn't just out of a bottle. Uh, but I don't know. The food was, food was okay when I was there. Uh, but I've also heard enough to let me know that my experience was not the, the whole of how things were. So I'd be interested to hear your feedback as we read through some of these reviews, Logan. 
So Alan says, well, looking at my own Yelp profile today, I noticed that I have not yet left any one-star reviews. So naturally, I tried to think of the worst restaurant I've ever been to. It didn't take long. The Mayan is dreadful, profoundly dreadful. It's the first food I've ever considered poisoning on purpose just so I didn't have to eat it anymore. Clearly, I'm using hyperbole for rhetorical effect, but my enchiladas were utterly flavorous, alarmingly chewy, <laughs> served at about room temperature, unsightly, and expenses. <laughs> expensive. The whole experience was about what you'd expect if Disney were to kidnap a bunch of hobos and force them under threats of violence to run a restaurant with a tight budget. I think Logan's dog agrees. Yeah, he's ticked off about that. He's like, hey, Logan worked there. Or is he saying, no, that's wrong. I love the enchiladas. <laughs> the food was great. <laughs> Real, really good. Stupid humans. <laughs> So picky with their food. <laughs> as far as the cold enchiladas, it was just probably hard to get through all the jungle all the way up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And maybe the drink got some water splashed in it at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the part that scares me the most was the alarmingly chewy section. That just sounds dreadful. I do not like chewy things that shouldn't be chewy. Chewy? Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I do think that I have to give them the point for saying that it was flavorless. Um, really, it, it, it's a common theme with Utah restaurants that we don't do spicy. Uh, mm. Yeah, may mayonnaise is considered spicy here in Utah. And <laughs> Hold on. Wait. Can be spicy, all right? <laughs> so, you're thinking of. <laughs> and we're slowly trying to creep out of, out of that little flavor bubble. But within the Mayan, they played it pretty safe. For, for Mexican food, they didn't really have anything that was on the Scoville scale. Too bad. I like spicy. I have a friend that worked at the mine, and she said the chili verde pork was the bomb.com. So maybe that was something that was good there back in I the did, day. Yeah, didn't have the chance to try it, but I believe it. We, we definitely had some good things. They just didn't always last long, uh, especially if they uh, required a, a higher price point on the menu. Uh, or took a long time to cook. So you've mentioned that a few times. Does that mean like the menu would change monthly, weekly, or how often do you think the oh, menu uh, change? Or would they have like their few things that were always on the menu, but the rest would change? Well, yeah, they had, they had a couple standbys that really stood the test of time. Um, and really, to be fair to the kitchen staff, I think, I, I think it got a revision maybe once a year to two years. Uh, but it was enough to make it so that when you went there as a diner, you might not get the same experience twice. And what would you do? You remember, do you remember the like price point and like what would the average plate cost? I think let's see right here. I got a menu here actually. Okay, you got the menu. That's yeah. One of the probably twenty five that they went through um, back in whenever this was. So let's just say 2010. So the Mayan combo would have been 13.95. It came with chicken enchilada and a chili relleno with rice and refrito beans. You had tacos for between 12.50 and 13.50. Fajitas got up to 14.95. This is probably the one you were talking about. Steak a la Tampicana for seventeen ninety five. That's a yeah. bit pricey. I think that yeah, I think that was the one I would get. Um, so it's a little more a little more pricey than maybe your average restaurant, but still reasonable. Right. If we th if we're thinking back to those terms, I mean, back in two thousand eleven, prices were a little bit different than they are yeah. now. A little, it, not much. It, it was a pro it was a popular date location, uh, especially for. Um, People who don't want to go out for drinks, they want to go do something else. Here in Utah, we want to offer all, all the options, and and the Utah, uh, the uh, and the Mayan that is uh, coming in at, at thirty dollars for two people, not a bad date. But they did still have drinks there, at least on this menu. They had some margaritas and some wines that you could choose from. So if you were going there looking for that, you could still still get it as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe just not as the the same type of quality as. Yeah, a place it, it, that specializes in that. Yeah, it wasn't a wine destination. I, I wouldn't go there for their wine selection. <laughs> <laughs> well, another question for you, Logan, is 
was there a certain time that was more exciting to go than others? Was the daytime more low key compared to nighttime weekends and stuff like that? Well, um, really the, the biggest variable was the show. Uh, it was how many people were on shift to, to make the shows happen. Um, and almost always they were better with more people. Uh, when we would get more people going into these complicated dives to keep divers going more often instead of waiting for two people to catch their breath and climb up the ladder again. Um, and so we would, we would have the divers, and then we would have other characters of the tribe uh, that would interact with them in the show. And so a full show would be three to four divers, a character who is the shaman chief. If you see a character walking around with a big feathered headdress and a, and a skull motif on them, that's usually the, the shaman chief. Uh, there was another character that was the jaguar god. Uh, that was a, a mute character that could command the elements. Um, or at least be in the same place when the elements went off and looked like they were commanding them. That's what that gig was. Uh, that's so cool. <laughs> and... Uh, and so it was this, this full working tribe that tells this this story. Uh, uh, we we start our day. We go. We gather the corn. We gather the water. We hunt the great jaguar, and then we celebrate the corn. And that's what the that's what the top of the hour was. It was the great festival of the corn. Um, and uh, it was it was taken from a, a handful of you know, Google searches about Mayan culture and history. Uh, and smashed together into something that made a little bit of sense to be watching it just for a snippet of time. One of the reviews said they're not trying to cater to archaeologists coming in and and critiquing the place because it's going to be all over the place. But it's still, like you're saying, it had a, that those pieces that was enough for you to believe, yeah, this is Mayan. This is what yeah. the Mayan adventure would be like. For us... <laughs> For us, the, the biggest thing that was the hardest part to get over is, I, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm a white guy. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to sell the uh, uh, the idea that I'm a, a Mayan jungle native as somebody from Salt Lake City, Utah. And really, that was most of our dive team. We were from Salt Lake and from the area around Sandy. Um, and so we would kind of supplement that look with, not necessarily, uh, we won't go to like blackface or anything, but we would do war paint. Uh, yeah. We would look that. at, yeah, different patterns that actual Mayans would do in, in tattoos and, and scarification and mimic it with a waterproof paint on war paint. And, uh, yeah, pretty but soon. But at least you could play off of, it was a dark place, right? So, of course, mm -hmm. you didn't look, you, you're a white guy, you said, you look nothing like a Mayan, but at least with that atmosphere and the dark nature it could pass like yeah no one's... yeah the lighting the lighting definitely helped um there's one really great picture of me standing uh on the front of the pool trying to get the audience clapping and the person who took who took the picture had the flash on their camera and there is a there is a white ghost in the middle of their <laughs> their, their mayan jungle shot i was gonna say it Kind of like when you watch a movie that says based on true events. So who knows how the mind was based on based on true, true facts. Culture. <laughs> yeah. Truish facts. Mm -hmm. Let me give you another review. So this is from Uber Heist G back in 2007. They were talking about how the previous reviewers have this place pretty much nailed. Terribly bland food. Nifty interior. Nifty cliff driver divers that you watch as you eat, excellent for kids, not so great for adults. The margaritas were pretty good, but they didn't make up for the terribly bland food. Mind you, I live in California, which has, has incredibly great Mexican food. Therefore, I'm pretty jaded and have a higher standard when it comes to food from south of the border. Just watch out while sitting in the splash zone. Chlorinated water in your margarita is ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was, a, that was a real risk of having a restaurant with a pool in the middle of it. Uh, I remember we we did, did one dive where we were practicing something new, and through just almost magic, it seemed like, uh, it launched a column of water straight into the air and then soaked one of the general managers who wasn't watching the show at all. Oh, no. Uh, and, it, and it really looked like someone had just dumped a bucket of water on him from 
somewhere else, just from the top sure of the restaurant. Love that. <laughs> well, you're in your podcast, you guys, as you mentioned, always start out with a drink a theme to your um, whatever it is you're talking about. Do you think you could come up with some kind of margarita that has a chlorinated chlor, chlorinated water base? Oh, now that sounds that that's that's a tough challenge, right? There. The, the Mayan special. <laughs> it might cure the coronavirus. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> worth a shot. Yeah, there you go. And uh, we're yeah, we're actually getting ready to do a, a Mayan themed episode on my show over there. So I'll I'll, I'll give it some thought. Uh, right. Before Halloween, we're going to feature uh, we so we do creatures from folklore. Uh, we're going to be discussing Kamasats, who was the the original Batman. He's the Mayan bat god of death. And oh my gosh. He, yeah. Uh, and we actually, uh, for a short time, we would actually run a, a spook alley in the Mayan restaurant. And what? we would, yeah, we would call it the Tomb of Kamasats. And it that was, was so cool. It, it, uh, I'll see if I can find a picture, if you want to post it on your page, of what what our Kamasats character looked like. He had a, a very scary bat horror monster mask and he would jump out of the shadows and dangle from the ceiling. Uh, it was a very physical kind of intense little thing, but so just another piece of the jungle. That right now. That'd be so cool. <laughs> Did, Did you, you ever meet Larry? Uh, I met him once uh, coming through. Uh, they, he had a table that he liked to, uh, to sit at that had he he felt the best view of the whole restaurant um but uh it wasn't wasn't my favorite table uh, <laughs> uh but yeah it, it was it was really cool to be part of the the lhm group um we got discounts on cars that i don't know if anybody bought because it wasn't much of a discount um we did get the the employee discounts uh, on the menu both at the mayan and any of the other restaurants he owned but the biggest perk to working for Larry Miller was the movies, uh, because he also mm -hmm. owned the mega, the Megaplex theater there at Jordan Commons. Um, any movie that was out for, I think, two weeks made it to a list that employees could see whenever they wanted. Well, sadly, um, as we're talking about this, you know, it's closed down quite a few years ago. We're almost at the nine-year mark. And so it closed down on Halloween of 2011, officially. And it seemed like it was a really big surprise to a lot of people. There was rumors that it was closing down, but it wasn't until that day that people went in for their shift. They're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're done. And so I watched a clip from Fox 13 News, um, our girl Hope Woodside talking about it, how there were so many people that were just devastated that they didn't have this place to go to because what you touched on, Logan, that was really a family and the experiences you're able to have, not so much for, you know, it was a job, right? But the close-knit experience you got to have with those people, um, just having that ripped out and without a warning, like without being able to really say goodbye to the yeah. experience. Yeah, and and really it was it was unlike working with, any other kind of team. Um, we really got to know each other very closely. Um, that element of danger really made it so we all had to watch each other's backs and make sure that everybody came out in the same, you know, same condition they went in. Uh, and one thing that's happened is at least among the entertainers uh, and, and the divers, a lot of, a lot of us have gone on to do really impressive things. Um, if you if you read the article about the mine closing, the manager at the time, uh, it's my friend Mary Wolf. She and her husband Tice have been on America's Got Talent a number of times uh, as, oh, wow. uh, as duo transcend. Uh, they do uh, aerials and roller skating and, and different stunts and tricks. Um, let's see, uh, we got a couple other notable Mayan alums here. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Dean Todd of the Chalk Children's Hospital. He's a pediatrician out there in Orange County. Uh, we've got oh my buddy Andy, Andy Jones. He's uh, so he he was he competed in the Red Bull Dive competition a number of times. He actually went and performed with Cirque du Soleil's O Show, and now he's a stuntman. Pretty cool. Uh, recently, he was in uh, Netflix's Space Force. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, and uh, we've got, I mean, really, anybody who did something there took that and, and built on it. Um, and, and there's Logan Young, who runs the Folklore on the Rocks. Yeah, the illustrious, the illustrious Logan Young of Folklore on the Rocks. 
Um, and really, uh, uh, I, I would name everybody who worked there, but I'd, I'd end up forgetting somebody. But really, I'd be remiss if I didn't name uh, American Ninja Warrior champion Brent Stephenson. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, he was a diver there. I got to work with him. Really a cool guy. And his persona that he carries over into uh, AWN, uh, it's, he's very real and authentic. And it's, it's been really cool to see somebody that I, I worked with back in high school go on to such cool things. Very yeah. cool. So do we know why it closed? Or, I mean, I can totally understand what Logan has said a few times that the theater is making more money than the restaurant because it's, I mean, that's a lot of overhead. Not right now, they're not. Not right now. <laughs> but back oh, then. No, Bill and Ted's three is in theaters. They are making <laughs> hand over fist right now. Um, but just the overhead that you would have to have to run that restaurant compared to a movie theater where very low key, still need a lot of employees to run a, a movie theater in that wing. So. Um, but do we know, was it a financial decision or is it more of a, the food sucks so nobody wanted to eat it? <laughs> well, it was coming at a time from the research I did that, I mean, 2009, everything kind of, that was the recession, yeah, the recession right? Recession. That makes sense. And going out to a little more expensive experience dinner probably wasn't the first thing on people's mind, right? As great as it was to go visit the Mayan, times are tight, that's not going to be where you're i mean the food's not the best so the thing you're going for is the food it's not really what you're going to spend the money on so i think that's a big thing that cut into and why they made that financial decision to close it down but let's let me tell you my gripe with all of this this was a mayan themed restaurant they could have at least held off until 2012 yeah (laughs) yeah they could end, have just ended the calendar. Like, yeah, ended the calendar. We don't right? know what to do now because yeah, <laughs> we had plans up till then, and now we just have to close. We don't have a calendar. We don't know how to book our employees because there's no calendar <laughs> yeah. to go. There's by. nothing written on the back. We're just we're just we're on just our done. own here. We're done. Yeah. But uh, one thing that uh, I think really factored into the the restaurant closing was we talked about that. Yes, it's a people that it's a place people only go for the experience. Um, and really, it's a place that, depending on that experience, they might not go back. And that's something that many restaurants really count on. It's not just that initial business, that initial business. Mm-hmm. It's that repeat business. And right. that's something that is really hard to pull off with something that is really, uh, if, you're on, if you're in town, maybe you'll go here once. You're not going to go there twice. Unless the food knocked your socks off, right? Then you'd go back. As long as, long as it didn't knock them off in a negative way. Right. (laughs) But yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of restaurants will have some sort of incentive, basically comp you a free meal, right, to get you in the door because they hope that you'll come back four or five times over the next year. Mm -hmm. And like Logan said, if you're going once going, okay, we'll go back in a year from now. That's not really a a sound business plan to get money coming in your doors. It's not getting you to fill 700 tables in a night with mm-hmm. how many people are here we would, Not feasible. We, we would have some shows where we would go out to uh to, so each show would start with with pantomiming to drum along with the music on these big wooden drums um and we would go out and we'd stand at the drums and we'd look to make sure there's nobody in the restaurant usually that was like a sunday morning shift uh when who's going to go to the mayan on sunday morning uh, we would be there yeah. <laughs> My bishop says no. <laughs> and I remember very specifically just kind of cursing, you know, whatever Mayan gods were watching over us when we would get halfway through a show, think, oh, good, we don't even need to get in the water. We're fine. We'll just go right back in the cave and hang out until the, until the next hour. Somebody comes in and sits down at a table and we have to get in the pool. and We have to start diving and actually have to start doing it for real. Uh it was it was something that it was yeah there was that little bit of begrudging element to it especially on days when the pool was cold uh, that did happen a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> um, but really it was uh, it was a great way to stay in shape and constantly have fun um, I've had a number of desk jobs since then and I, I miss being able to get up and move around and and go for a bird hunt. <laughs> 
you can still do that. Yeah. Like. Yeah. yeah. Um, a part of part of the bird hunt was uh, we would play the game of who can do the different bird calls through the jungle. And so, would you like a, like a sample of some of the bird calls? We have. Oh, absolutely. Let's see. That's my uh, that's my velociraptor right there. No, we want you to do the bird call, not to have you bring in the exotic bird and do it. <laughs> Great job. And, He's a velociraptor. And, <laughs> and and everyone would we would play, you know just toss out our favorite bird calls. And you, uh, and then uh, one one of my friends, she was unable to do any call but uh, a raven. So you would just hear, Well, important thing to say is while it is closed, there are the rumors that the dive wall is still intact and we may be getting to do a tour here in the next little bit well oh. that's soon to be seen fingers crossed yeah um i've so I've, I've heard the same thing that the dive wall is still there uh should be noted that's not the rock wall that we would dive off of it was a, oh, it was a wall backstage uh with the word dive written on it in great big letters um and as part of this mural it would actually have silhouettes of people doing traditional competition dive poses a, a pike someone doing something inverted um and they were all taken from actual divers that were there and so i've, I've heard a number of friends say oh yeah that one's me i was doing that that day and it, it's kind of cool that it's still there i'm really upset because i was expecting to see the rock wall but i guess we can settle for a dive wall still cool so the pool's gone is what you're saying yeah we can't we can't jump in and pretend I might push you in, but not into water. <laughs> Unfortunately, those days are behind us. Uh, yeah, it, it was. It, let's see. Uh, the the pool was something really unique to both the restaurant and among pools. It was a pretty special place. Uh, I got to work there as a as a diver, but also I would uh, occasionally do maintenance and cleanup on the pool. Um, and because it was so deep. Uh, it would require a scuba tank to get down there and, and really clean it out or uh, keep it keep the water levels balanced so that people can dive into it the next day. Do we think that the mine will ever come back? No, probably not. But no. it is uh, a place we can still find some footage of on YouTube. And it was a special place that we still miss at least for the experience portion of it. But we're happy that you were able to come and share your experiences with us, Logan, yeah, as we visited this place. Yeah, that yeah. was really cool to have like an insider perspective of what went on there. Uh, yeah, I, I like to think that places like the Mayan are just a stepping stone. I want to see what the next big theme restaurant is. Uh, it needs it, to come to Utah. We need some themed restaurants like for sure. now. <laughs> Brandon's got one in the works for Waterfalls. <laughs> well, the thing is that they had a waterfall at the Mayan restaurant. Right, but the whole restaurant's going to be waterfalls. Oh. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I told you about that. You were supposed to share <laughs> that because now yeah, someone's going to steal my idea. Yeah, there we go. Copyrighted, stamped it. Well, do you want to give us a final plug, Logan, and where people can find you and what you uh, are working on? Yeah, sure. Um, so my, my podcast is called Folklore on the Rocks. Um, I work with my good friend, Lindsay, who is an anthropology student. Just monkey with my watch here. Sorry. Keep our logo on there along with where, where we, we can be found. Oh, actually, sorry. I'll, we'll just start that part all over. Uh, and I can share. Clearly, clearly I'm not the organized one on this, uh, on our podcast. I'm kind of the jokester of the group. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yeah. everyone's got to be the mascot you're telling me um, no, but yeah Thanks so we are on uh we're on apple music spotify uh itunes really wherever you listen to podcasts uh, if if folklore is your thing if you like those stories that get passed down and if we if, if you really like hearing kind of something spooky and something different uh check us out uh 
for our Utah listeners, we do we do talk about alcohol. It is part of part of enjoying it, and we think part of the culture of these different places. Um, our next episode that we're prepping right now is uh, on the the folklore of Hawaii. Uh, we're talking about a number of a number of myths and uh, things from that 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 uh, that that area. The problem with Hawaii, though, is like Mayan, their language is really hard. Uh, so the stories I've recorded for that one started really, really long and had to get trimmed down. Let's see. Uh, as far as that, uh, that's pretty much all I need to say on, on Folklore on the Rocks. Check us out if you think you'd like to join us. Uh, it's, it's a good time. All right. Well, you got any jokes for us, Nate? Nope. Just seven days without Mexican food makes Juan weak. And that'll do, that'll do it for us on the This Is A Place podcast. Thanks for listening. See you guys next week. Bye.